really, really wonderful portion. Um, challenging portion, but a, a wonderful portion. And just to kind of connect into what I said last week um, in terms of the, 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 this kind of prophetic word that Jesus has been speaking to his disciples, um, we looked at last week at three different layers of this prophetic word. And the first was where Jesus speaks about persecution that is to come for the church. And I had a look at that with you. And secondly, in, in particular, we looked at verse 14 of chapter 13, which was the, the phrase, the abomination that brings desolation, which was a quote of Daniel 12, verse 11. And we saw, I, had, I showed you how over the centuries, different people have connected that verse in to various historical events that occurred to understand Jesus speaking about the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. And then thirdly, we looked at Jesus' encouragement about understanding the difference between false messiahs and the true messiah of the Gospels himself, Jesus. And so those were the three levels that we looked at last week. And, and this morning, I want to look at the final layer, if you like, the fourth level of this prophetic word, where our gaze is lifted from the immediate destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, what is to happen in that generation. And Jesus then lifts our gaze from that to the anticipation of him coming again um, in verse 32, uh, which speaks directly about his second coming. So it's really, it's really important to see that the beginning of the section that we're looking at this morning, uh, up until verse 32, is still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, it's still referring to that immediate event that is, Jesus is prophesying about. And uh, it's very important to understand the language because if we don't understand the language, we can, we can misinterpret what is actually happening here. If you look at verse 24 and 25, you'll see the language is, is, is um, a prophetic language about the universe being shaken. And it's the, the words are, in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And it's really important to see that this is Old Testament prophetic language that Jesus is using that his disciples would have understood. And uh, it reminds me of various portions in the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 13.10 uses the same kind of language. It says this, For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark in its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. Isaiah, using prophetic language, is, 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 is speaking in the same way that Jesus now kind of takes that same kind of language and uses it in this prophetic word to speak into his disciples. And it's a key for us to understand because when we get to verse 26 and we read this, the coming of the Son of Man, that sounds like Jesus is already speaking about his second coming. But actually, he's not. He's still speaking about the destruction of the temple. And what he's doing is, is, is again, he's quoting Daniel. In verse 26, the coming of the Son of Man, is actually quoting Daniel again. He's quoting Daniel 7.13, which says this. It's again Daniel, a prophetic book, using prophetic language, says this. I saw in the night, and behold, with the clouds of heavens, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given a kingdom, a dominion and glory, that all people, all nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So here, 
Daniel is quoting, is prophesying about the Son of Man coming in power and glory to receive an eternal kingdom. Jesus is taking those words and quoting that as a prophetic uh, demonstration of what is happening through him and through his life. So actually, at, at this point, Jesus is still pointing us back to the prophetic language of the Old Testament. And so we see here in this portion, the Son of Man comes to the Father to receive an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so something of Jesus' life and his death and, resurrec and resurrection is anticipating that receiving of, of a kingdom. And so we can see that in Jesus' life, that as he dies and is raised again and ascends to heaven, he receives from his Father an eternal kingdom that cannot be shaken. And we know also from church history that uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the progress of the church throughout the ages also can be seen as a fulfillment of Daniel 7.13, that as those things happen, so too is Jesus' kingdom coming and being received by people here on earth. So what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is that it's important to understand the language is prophetic language in those first, first verses. It's not literal. It's painting a picture for us just like the Old Testament does in anticipation of what God is going to do through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and also through the destruction of the temple. And so, for example, um, that this prophetic language then is picked up, this Old Testament language is picked up as Jesus speaks into the destruction of the temple. Uh, and he says, in those days, after that tribulation, speaking about the destruction of the temple, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the power in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. So this is, the, this is prophetic language, Old Testament language that Jesus is speaking about, and he's saying, he's using that language to say this. He's saying all the things that the, 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 the prophets prophesied about, about destruction coming on the enemies of Israel, he's using the same language to say, actually, destruction is coming upon Jerusalem and upon God's people. And so um, he's saying this same language is, is, is being applied uh, to, to this, this anticipation of the destruction of Israel. I can think of Isaiah 13.10. Uh, Ezekiel 32.7 says this, When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon will not give its light. It's the same kind of language that Jesus uses uh, in verse 24 and 25. And at the same time, we know, looking forward, that these things are going to happen before the final day when Jesus comes back. Because Peter, 2 Peter 3.12 Speaking of that final day, he uses this similar kind of language. He says, wait for and hasten the coming of the day of the Lord, because the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. And so it's this kind of prophetic sense that even Peter uses when he's talking about that final day when Jesus comes back, that actually the heavens and the earth, as we know, are going to disappear, and the new heavens and the new earth are going to come. And so all of this to say that this language that Jesus is using and this prophecy that he's giving about the temple and the fall of Jerusalem, we, we need to see that all as a sign. And basically it is, so the sign is this, that there's a coming day when salvation is not going to depend on being a Jew or worshiping at the temple or being tied to the Mosaic law or giving animal sacrifices. That, that's what Jesus is trying to say, is, is, is anticipating that. He's saying, actually, 
there's a whole new way of relating to God that is coming. And the sign of this is that the temple is going to be destroyed. And when the temple is destroyed, you know that you no longer, being a Jew is no longer the thing. Animal sacrifice is no longer the thing. Uh, observing holy days is no longer the thing. There's a whole new way of relating to God that is coming. And when you see this happen, you know that's the sign that it has happened. And so he's pointing really to his own life and what he's come to do. And um, this phrase, um, verse, uh, seeing the Son of Man uh, coming in power, needs to be seen in that light. It's a prophetic uh, language that Jesus is using. Is using. And it's also key to us to understand that this doesn't happen instantly. Daniel 7.13 is not fulfilled all at once, but it's fulfilled in a number of stages. Um, and I've kind of said them all already, but let me just summarize so that you kind of get the heart of what I'm trying to say. Um, the coming of the Son of Man is, 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 is um, fulfilled in these kind of three basic ways. First of all, Jesus comes to the Father through his death and resurrection and, ascent, and ascension to receive a kingdom. In that way, it's fulfilled. And so I had a look in the, in the Gospels, and Jesus speaks about um, all of these events taking place in the lifetime of his disciples many, many times. In fact, 14 times he says, this is going to happen in your generation. The destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem, it's going to happen in your generation, and you're going to know that for certain. So I, I want to quote two just this morning. Matthew 16, 27 and Mark 8, 38 says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes again in the glory of his Father. Or Matthew uh, 10, 23, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus pointing them to saying, these things are going to happen in your lifetime. And you're going to see them happen before your very eyes. And so that's the first stage. Um, and so that the resurrection and ascension and life of Jesus, uh, through that he comes to the Father and he comes to receive his kingly authority and his kingdom. And then secondly, this coming of the Son of Man is is fulfilled through the fall of Jerusalem and the temple. And I've said already that in that we see that Jesus is saying there's a judgment that's coming upon the nation of Israel and, in, in, and the, the temple is no longer going to be the focus of his glory and his authority and there's a whole new age being ushered in through the life of Jesus. And then thirdly, obviously it points us then ultimately to the second coming of Jesus. And, and verse, 20, verse 27, we read this. It's, Jesus says, He will send out angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of, of heaven. And yeah, it's quite interesting because, again, uh, the language it can refer, messenger can either mean angel or um, it can mean someone who's a preacher of the gospel. But either way, those three verses from verse 28 to 31 make the point, which I've already made, that these things are going to happen in the lifetime of the apostles. And so we look at church history again, and we can see that in the early years of the church, uh, in the book of Acts, so many exciting things happened. The church was birthed. The Holy Spirit was poured out. It was a time of great expansion, amazing signs and wonders, power, and revival. It was a fantastic and a very, very amazing time for the church. And yet, within 40 years of Jesus speaking this 
and being crucified and, and uh, ascending to heaven and being resurrected, Israel lost its position as God's special people with special institutions like the temple that were a light to the world. The Mosaic law ceased. The temple ceased. Animal, animal sacrifice was no longer required. Special holy days like the Passover and Day of Atonement were no longer part of God's requirements. And God's kingly power and authority was taken from Israel and was given to His church as, is, as Jerusalem was destroyed. And so that's really what Jesus is saying in, in this portion. He's saying, actually, there's a whole new thing coming, a whole new way of relating to God. The old is gone and the new has come. When you see the sign, you will know that it has happened. And you will know this in your lifetime, he says to his apostles. And then that brings us to verse 32, which now Jesus directly transitions from speaking about the temporal thing that they can see with their eyes in their own lifetime to the eternal thing of him coming again, his second coming. And he says this, but concerning that day, that hour, now he's talking about his second coming. He's talking about the future. No one knows not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. He says, I don't even know, but only the Father. Isn't that interesting? Concerning that day when he comes back, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father knows. And it's interesting that he starts with but in verse 32. And why does he do that? Because he's making a contrast. He's saying the day of the second coming is totally unknown except to the Father, and he's contrasting that to the fall of Jerusalem, which he says, you are going to see that in your lifetime. You're going to see it. So he's contrasting these two things, the eternal uh, event of him coming again with the temporal thing that they can see with the eyes. And so I just want to emphasize again, Jesus says, not me, Jesus says that the second coming when he comes back again is an unknown time except to one person, that is the Father. And um, as we think about that, as we anticipate that, about Jesus coming back, uh, what should we be thinking, and how should we prepare, and what should we do? Because it should be a deep conviction for us as Christians that we live like Jesus is coming back, and we believe that Jesus is coming back. And so how do we anticipate that, and what should we do? And my encouragement to you this morning is simple that we should not become fretful, impatient, or dissatisfied, but that we should rest in what Jesus says we should do in this text this morning. And we should rest in these things. There are three things I want to say to you. First of all, we rest in the knowledge that the day of His coming is totally unknown. The day of His coming is totally unknown. No human being knows, no angel knows, and Jesus Himself says here, not even He knows, only the Father knows that day when He will be. And I want to encourage you to rest in that, uh, to, take, to take Jesus at His word, to not be distracted or discouraged by what anyone else might say or prophesy. Please remember this as you might hear claims over your lifetime, as I have heard many over my lifetime, that the end is very near and it's going to take place on such and such a date and such and such a person has prophesied that this is going to happen. I want to say to you, these claims are always false. Why are they always false? Because Jesus says himself that he himself doesn't even know when he's coming back. Only the Father knows. And if Jesus says that, then it's true. 
And I, I, I want to also encourage you not to be distracted about various um, theories about the end of the world and uh, the rapture. Can I just say to you that I do not believe the Bible teaches the rapture. The rapture is a very recent Christian uh, thing that has only developed in the last 200 years by, by various people and was popularized in America by uh, American faith preachers. The, the church has never really believed in the rapture. The church believes in the resurrection. And that is another discussion for another day. I don't want to get distracted this morning, but I want to say to you, don't get distracted by everybody's theories about the tribulation and when that's going to happen and the thousand years. People have this weird kind of thing that they do where they mix the prophetic language of Revelation with the second coming and come up with all these theories of what's going to happen. Jesus said, no one knows, only the Father. Rest in that. Don't be distracted by all sorts of theories that are nonsense. And just because they are popular on television does not mean that they are true or what the Bible teaches. Don't be distracted. Rest in the knowledge that Jesus said only the Father knows when he's coming back. Secondly, we rest in Jesus' encouragement to be watchful and prayerful. Do you notice that? At the, towards the end of that chapter, he repeats over and over, be watchful, keep awake, keep yourself sharp. Don't fall asleep. Be awake. He says it repeatedly. And uh, the point of him saying that is that he could come back anyway and any time. And his encouragement to us is while we wait, keep a, be awake and keep on your guard. Why? So that you live that you're, like you are ready that Jesus is coming back at any moment. That you're living with that anticipation, that passion, that sense of giving your life wholeheartedly because Jesus is coming back. And you live like that. Thirdly, rest in the fact that this will not necessarily happen soon. You see, when I look at church history, the early church didn't have a dogmatic insistence that Jesus was coming back very soon or at any particular time. And we can actually see that in this, in this portion we've read this morning in Mark 13.35. And there are other passages that teach the same thing where Jesus says this. It says there might be a period of delay, and that's why Jesus says, Therefore stay awake. You do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he suddenly find you asleep. And what I say, I say to you all, stay awake. And so the heart of what Jesus is saying here in this picture is quite clear. He's saying the master of the house has gone away for an indefinite period of time. You don't know how long he's gone away for. No one knows when he's coming back. So what you do in the meantime is you stay alert and you be sharp and you be on your guard and you anticipate he's coming back. And that's what you do. You live like that. So we rest in that. We rest in the fact that we don't know when he's coming, but we live like he's going to come back at any time with passion and focus and enthusiasm living for the return of Jesus our King. Fourthly, uh, I think we can take this out of this portion that the final coming of Jesus will test our wakefulness. That's the kind of language that, that is used here. It's clear from this scripture that Jesus is saying the time is unexpected. Um, you're not, not, you're not going to know when it's going to be, so be ready at any time. And all of us need to be convict with this, uh, uh, gripped with this conviction that Jesus is coming back. So I want to ask you, 
I want to ask you, are you living with that conviction? Are you, are, you, are you someone who actually does believe that Jesus is coming back in glory and in power? How are you living? How am I living? Are you being faithful? Uh, are you ready for his return? And that's why Jesus says right repeatedly and says at the end again, he says, watch, keep awake. He's emphasizing this sense of being wakeful and full of anticipation of him coming back. So we rest in the knowledge that his coming is a day that is completely unknown. We rest in Jesus' encouragement to be watchful and prayerful. We rest in the fact that this might not necessarily happen soon. We are aware, fourthly, that this coming of Jesus, his second coming, is going to test our own wakefulness and how we live. We are aware of that. And the final thing I'd like to say this morning is that it's also true that Jesus comes in more than one way to us. And all of us, I hope, as Christians, are certainly looking forward to anticipating the second coming of Jesus in power and in glory. But he can, other, he can come in other ways in our lives. Uh, sometimes Jesus comes to us not at the end of the world, in terms of that day, the end of the world, but he comes to us when it seems to be the end of our world and things are really, really difficult and our circumstances in our life are really challenging. And he comes to us to speak peace and comfort and guidance in our lives. And I think looking back on 2020, it's certainly been one of those times where for many the world has been shaken. And Jesus comes to us in the midst of that shaking to bring peace, comfort, and guidance. So he comes to us in that way. He can come to us at any time to take us away to himself in glory. None of us know how, how long our lives are going to last. And perhaps what COVID has taught us is that we'd like to think we are in control of our lives, but at the end of the day, there are things that we are not in control of. So my encouragement to you out of that would be, let's live every single day joyfully, enthusiastically, passionately, because it might be our last. As if it is our last. Let's live like that with absolute conviction and joy. And then sometimes, thirdly, Jesus comes and takes a look at what's going on in our lives, and he either rewards us or he chastens us according to what he sees. And so that's why we need to live with a soft heart, completely open to his Holy Spirit, so we can hear what he's saying to us, what needs to change within us, so that we can become more and more like him, anticipating that day, eventually, when he will come again and make us completely perfect on that, on that day when he comes again. And so, my final encouragement to you is, I want to ask you to hear the words of Jesus for your own life. And what he finishes off in that chapter, he says, What I say, I say to all. And I believe he would say this to all of us. And it's simply this, stay awake. Don't become discouraged. Lift up your eyes. Let the Holy Spirit encourage and refresh you. Live like he's coming back tomorrow. Give yourself to him through your life with passion and enthusiasm because he has a life for you to live. That's going to have great, great reward for his kingdom, and it's going to be a great blessing to other people. So I trust that it encourages you, encourages you this morning. Let's live like that. Let's live with passion and conviction. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. We're just going to sing one more song together. We've got some prophetic words that we want to bring at the end of the meeting, and we'd love to take some time after the meeting to pray for you all. But let me pray and... Um, 
then the worship team is going to lead us again. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the beauty of your word. I want to thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that your word teaches and instructs us and enables us to live with wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray that as I've tried to preach this morning, that we would anticipate your second coming with, with great joy in our lives, that we would live for that day when you come back. But, Lord, in the interim, while we wait, we ask that you'd help us to be watchful, prayerful, thoughtful, that we would live with passion and conviction, that we'd do all that we can to point other people to you so that on that day, that final day, many sons and daughters would come to glory. And so we look to you, Lord, and I pray we would not get distracted by all sorts of things around us, but we would trust in your word and simply rest in what your word says. And so I pray for everyone at home. I pray, Lord, for that joyful anticipation. I pray for that peace, that watchfulness, that resting in who you are and what you've done and the anticipation of what is yet to come. Help us to live wisely. In Jesus' name I pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would seal these things in our hearts and bring life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.